Hi, I'm Kenzie. And I'm Emily. And this is The Claw Crypt. Crack open a cold one with us. While we discuss everything true crime, mysteries, conspiracies, and much more. I bet I'm gonna get it. Uh. <laughs> I did it. It's like the biggest perm I've ever done. <laughs> I got way too excited about my like first loud burp. That's how I felt when I like purposely burped yesterday. I felt so proud. It, it hurts in the chest though. Like you can do it. Uh. Oh. Yay! <laughs> I wish I could do the ABCs. <laughs> That's my next goal. I got uh, A. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh no. Sounds like internal XX. Okay. <laughs> Easter. We need Jesus. Happy Easter. Oh my gosh, I had these, um, did you see my dank memes yeah. put in the group <laughs> chats? <laughs> um, my favorite one was, uh, he's getting nailed to the cross and he says, or this is before he gets nailed to the cross, and he's like, you can't touch this. And then the, one of the, um, I don't know who they are, but the people that nailed him to the cross, one of them's like, stop! And the other one's like, hammer time. <laughs> Get stoned hey. and nailed on Good Friday. It's what Jesus did. This one says feeling cute. Might let some Roman guy nail me later. I don't know. <laughs> so it was the Romans that did it. Romans. Yeah, and Jesus is all like finger to the lip like, mmm. Lifting up and showing it a little bit of his butt <laughs> cheek. Smashy. <laughs> okay, so today we are doing the first tidbit of Jack the Ripper. And I'm super excited. Um, This might be a three or four parter depends on how the episodes go so and i think it'll just be like a slow progress like because there's so much to this where like we do this one and then we take a break from it for a little bit and then come back to it so i'm sorry if you get mad at me for it but i want to deliver it good (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna talk about um one of the supposed victims and a couple of the confirmed victims. So we'll talk about Martha Tabram, uh, Mary Ann Nichols, and Annie Chapman, I think is one of the other ones. And then we might get to a little bit of Leather Apron, but I think I'm gonna wait a little bit for that one. I think I might tie that just into the suspects, but I'll like go over a little bit where it ties into these people, because some people like crack some jokes. about leather apron is these people like back in this era these people are just like they don't give a fuck (laughs) they're just drunks especially in the white chapel they used to poo on the streets yeah (laughs) (laughs) like white chapel where this takes place is like where a lot of um, slums were and people that didn't have a whole lot of money would go and they lived in these parts and a lot of women like were the doing... the of Minneapolis. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of prostitutes. Um, prostitution was huge. And it was legal. It was legal back in this day and they had a bunch of like brothels. Mm. I don't know if you remember Game of Thrones, but like those little brothels and stuff. This kind of brought me to like Game of Thrones era. There um, is a supposed victim. Her name is Emma Smith. Um, but she's like the first Whitechapel murder victim. I don't think she's actually really related to Jack the Ripper. She isn't listed as one of their victims. Uh, the Whitechapel murder files consist of 11 murders from 1888 to 1892. Not all of them they're sure is Jack the Ripper or not. If this was an early one, too, like, a lot of times when, like, serial killers kill one person, 
they kind of like figure out what they like about it, what they don't like about it, and then they'll change their like pattern. So, you so like it might be a little bit different with the first victim to the rest of them. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, the, this they go into pretty gory details. So this one oh, is gonna be a little gory. So Emma Smith, she was the first Whitechapel murder victim. Um, she was assaulted by a gang in April of 1888. She survived the attack, but later she died from all the injuries, and that's all I could really find on her. Uh, she's a victim of the Whitechapel murders, but she isn't listed as one of Jack's victims, like I said. So that's something just to kind of think about and keep in the back of your brains. Really quick, um, so like, when this was all happening, they didn't have any, like, actual pictures of the crime scenes. They have but, drawings. Yeah, I was going to say, the drawings are so cool. They're a little bit gory, but they're actually, like, they're not bad at all. And they're really yeah. cool because of how, I'm gonna like, post them. detailed they are. And, like, some of them are so cool when I, I was know. looking at them. I was scrolling through. They've got, like, this whole... All the information that I got in these papers is from jacktheripper.org, which is literally a site dedicated to Jack the Ripper, and I didn't have to go anywhere else. So the first supposed victim, this one, they're not quite sure if she's actually a victim or not because there's evidence that shows that she could be, but they don't really know. Martha Tabram. At least I think that's how you pronounce her name. So I'm sorry if it isn't, but she's dead anyway, so it doesn't really matter. She's not going to get mad at me. Say it with an accent. Martha Tabram. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. It sounds... Tabram. Tabram. I don't know. I can't do British. Yeah, it's in London, so it'd be British. Martha Tabram. No, wait, I said Tabram. (laughs) Tabram. I tried. Okay. At the time of the murder known as Martha Turner... (laughs) She was murdered in the morning of August 7th, 1888, and the majority of people say that she's the first victim of Jack the Ripper, although some also say that she wasn't. So, a little bit about her. She had a troubling childhood. She was born on May 10th, 1849, and she was the youngest of five siblings. At age 16, her father abandoned the family and then later died on November uh, 15th, the same year. In her late teen years, she started living with Henry Tabram, and a few years later, they married on Christmas in the year of 1869, and Martha was 20 at this time. A Christmas wedding. Um, And soon after their marriage, they got their own home, not too far from Martha's childhood home, and they had two children, Frederick, who was born in 1871, and Charles, who was born in 1872. A few years after that, Martha started becoming a heavy drinker, which is fairly common in Whitechapel. Pretty much all of these women, I will tell you, were heavy drinkers. What else was there to do back then, though? Like, they didn't have TVs, there was no TikTok or anything like that. You just... We're gonna go to the pub and get drunk. Yeah. (laughs) Go prostitute ourselves and earn some dough. To get drunk. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or pay for a bed. Yep. A few years later... Oh, I already said that. She became a heavy drinker. And it got so bad that Henry left her in 1875. So he's like, fuck you, you're drinking too much. I'm out. Deuces. Martha brought him to court for a desertion. And so Henry was ordered to pay her a weekly allowance of 12 shillings. And I was like, what the fuck is a shilling? So I, I Googled it. And 20 shillings is equal to one pound, which is European money these days. One pound is equivalent to 1.31 U.S. dollars, so basically a buck and 31 cents. So she was earning about seven cents a week. Yeah, but back then that went a lot further than it does today. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like nothing, but these days it really was. So after Henry found out that she was prostituting, um, he reduced her allowance to half a crown, which is equal to two cents in U.S. dollars. And prostitution was generally legal in brothels in the late 1800s. And anytime she would cross him in the street, she would go beg him for money. Because, you know, what else are you going to do? Once he found out she was living with William Turner, he stopped paying for anything. So he's like, okay, you're with a new man. He can support you. I'm done. Last time Henry saw her was 18 months before her death. Uh, Martha now lives with William and she lived with him pretty much on and off until she was murdered and died. 
they moved around a lot and they lived in like common lodging and slums and rented rooms a lot work was super rough so they would sell cheap little trinkets and stuff to make money makes sense like couch hopping but back in the day Kinda, yeah. <laughs> Just like, and that was like super common in the Whitechapel. Like, they had a bunch of rooms and stuff where you would pay like four pence for a bed or something like that. Some were nicer, some were shittier. So it really depended on like the quality of bed you wanted. Mm. And like a super old school hotel that was just a bedroom. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so they were assumed married by, like, the whole community. So she was assumed as Martha Turner now instead of Tabram. Uh, William would talk about how she was sober for the most part when she was with him, but when she started drinking heavily again, he left her and says that there was no quarrel, he just left. So they weren't, like, arguing and stuff. He was just like, oh, I'm out, bye. Huh. Which is a little sus to me, honestly, but they probably <coughs> interviewed him and were asking questions, so he was just like, yeah, no. William, he didn't really know about this, but she was relying on prostitution for money, and he didn't really think much of it, but he said she had a habit of staying out late at night. I couldn't say for certain what time she would come home. It was usually 11 o'clock, except on Saturdays when it was usually 12. And in March of 1888, Martha started renting from Mary Boosfield, a four-star place that she paid two shillings a week for. Sometimes William would stop by and spend some time with her. The fuck is happening out there? The future podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to you, the murder from next door. So sometimes William would stop by and he would spend some time with her in her little four-star place that she was staying. In about three weeks before her death... She started falling behind on her rent, so she left without paying for anything. She was like, I'm a debt, I'm outie, bye. Uh, one night she came home by forcing open the window, and she stayed the night and then left the key behind in the morning when she left. She broke in. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I need a place to stay, so I'm going to climb through the window, and here's my key. Okay, bye. She then moved to a new lodging house at 19 George Street in Spitalfields, um, and she was last seen alive by William the afternoon of Saturday, August 4th, 1888. He gave her one shilling and sixpence to use to earn herself some money, and he didn't know that he was never going to see her alive again. At some point of the evening, on Monday, August 6th, Martha had gone out drinking with another prostitute, Mary Ann Connolly, better known as Pearly Paul. Pearly Paul. I keep wanting to call her Pearly, Pearly Polly, but it's Pearly Paul. Interesting. Fun name. Yeah. She was more of a masculine woman, and um, nobody really that was close to Martha knew of Pearly Paul, and Pearly Paul knew Martha as Emma. Oh, I remember hearing about this one. Yeah. I don't know why she went by Emma, but... It might just be like a... Well, I suppose it's not that big of a deal back then, because there wasn't social media, but I would say these days, like... If you're a stripper, you don't give out your real name because then they can find you. And it's yeah. like a stalking thing. It could have also been to, like, get out of being found for her debt to the yeah. lodging house, too. Like, Or even no, being a prostitute. Know. Like, if you're oh, a prostitute true, and... Paul's a prostitute, so... Yeah, so, like, if you were a prostitute and then some dude walked up to me and he was like, Hey, what was that girl's name I was just with? I can be like, Oh, that was Emma. And then they'll be, like, looking for an Emma... And they won't find her because her name's actually Martha. Smart stuff, man. Um, It's really unknown exactly the timeline of events that happened this night because Mary's statements were kind of conflicting. But from what I know, she told the police they met at the pub at 11 p.m. and they drank until 11.45. But she told others that they went to several pubs in the area since 10 p.m. and events could have been altered because she was drunk. Yeah. So she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. At 11 p.m., the night Martha was seen by herself by Ann Morris entering the White Swan Pub on Whitechapel High Street. Martha and Mary had met two soldiers, bought them drinks, and around midnight they left and separated by couples. At the entrance of... They, sep- they left and separated by couples at the entrance of George Yard. 
There we go. I don't know why I put a period in the middle of that sentence. That confused me. I do that all the time. <laughs> Mary and her soldier, they went off into George Yard, which is now known as Gunthrope Street <laughs> over there. <coughs> they, like, changed all of the names of the places, like the streets and stuff. I can only assume why. <laughs> Probably wanted to get rid of all the memories of this shit. Yeah. Um, the building is now divided into flats. Which are probably haunted as fuck, honestly. I believe it. Um, in the 1800s, it was Sir George's home for respectable girls, yet it was known as one of the most dangerous streets in the local area because it was very dark and private, which made it easy for prostitutes like Martha to do business. It also made it easy for people like Jack the Ripper to do their business, obviously. In the early morning of August 7th of 1888, at 1.40 a.m., Elizabeth Mahoney and her significant other, Joseph, had just gotten home, and they lived in one of the George Yard buildings. Elizabeth had been walking by a little bit later on her way to get supper from a shop nearby, and they didn't see anything in the spot where Martha's body was soon found. It was super dark, so it's possible that she couldn't just, like, couldn't see it. Yeah. But around 2 a.m., a policeman walking down Wentworth Street noticed a soldier, the one that had been with Martha, Asked him what he was up to, and he explained that he was waiting for a comrade who was accompanying a woman, probably Mary. And the police dude thought nothing of it and carried on. At 3.30 a.m., Alfred George Crow was passing by the spot Martha's body was laying. He thought it was just someone sleeping on the street, which was normal. This happened all the time. Drunk people just passing out on the street. Again, Minneapolis. There's right. people <laughs> sleeping, sleeping in alleys and stuff. Yep. He couldn't really say whether it was a male or female, or if they were alive or dead. At 4.45 a.m., John Reeves was coming down the stairs, and it was starting to get light out, and he noticed Martha's body laying there in a pool of blood. He quickly grabbed a policeman, and they also called for Dr. Timothy Killeen. The doctor said that it was a very frenzied murder, and Martha had 39 stab wounds from her throat to her lower abdomen. The doctor believed the killer used two different knives, and the majority of them seemed to be from a pocket knife, but some of them seemed to have been inflicted from a dagger or a type of sword. See, that's crazy, because, like, a lot of the times, if there's a ton of stab wounds like that, and it's, like, super brutal, typically it's a personal murder in some sort of way. But it also takes a lot of stab wounds to kill somebody. Like, you can't just, like, one and done, and they're dead. Like, yeah, it takes a few of them. the amount of work it takes to do this... 30-something times. You've got to be angry. Yeah, so that's why a lot of times people say, like, overkill means it's it could be personal. But he did this with all the victims, I'm pretty sure. They were basically ripped apart. Yeah. And there's no way he was related to all of them or, like, knew all of them in, like, a personal level, I don't think. I'm going to spoil a little bit of what I'm going to talk about <laughs> later on. But there is a theory that Jack the Ripper was a doctor. I've heard that one before. Because he would take, like, the uteruses and different inside parts, and they would be missing from the body, so, like, where the fuck did he go? It's a weird maybe trophy was, item. <laughs> maybe he was studying them, and yeah. he wanted to, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into more of that later, because that, I really want to dig into that one. Super interesting. Oh, yeah. So... The police questioned everybody in the area, and eventually they got to Pearly Paul. They were having <laughs> troubles finding the soldier that Martha was with, and um, Pearly was kind of helping them, like, pick him out. And he was deemed innocent for a few reasons, but mainly because they excused Pearly Paul as a reliable witness, as she was a dangerous person to trust. So she, they didn't really trust her basically and they're like well it must not have been him because we can't trust this woman and what she says she's dangerous so yeah, william that about all women back then true <laughs> that's why we're all bad bitches <laughs> so william finds out about martha's death and he contacts authorities and informs them of her technically still being married to henry so really her last name is tabram and he identifies the body as martha and then Henry also later identifies the body as Martha. And three weeks later, they found Mary Nicole's body laying on the on her back, her skirt pulled up to her waist, and in the exact same pose as Martha. 
and that's why they think that she might be Jack the Ripper's victim. But just because she's laying in the same pose doesn't really mean that exactly, because it's like your typical little dead body sketch where your arms are like this. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna... I'm assuming that, like, she's on the ground, because, like, probably pushed her down, and then, like, there's only so many movements you can do to defend yourself in that moment. So, like, Especially if you're you being, like, falling, pinned down or something. Yeah, the chances of you falling into the same position as another person are probably pretty high, but then again, how many killers were in this town back then? Like, it's probably him. But, like, I don't know. Some said that it could have been the soldier. Like, maybe he was just... I don't know. I don't know why the soldier would do that, but... Psycho. I don't know why anyone would do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, but I don't know. So, we'll never know. But, so they didn't really confirm her as a victim, but they're like, maybe, maybe not. The first confirmed victim, though, was Mary Ann Nichols, who we just talked about, um, laying in the same position. So, her, she was murdered on the 31st of August, so almost a month later. Um... She was born as Mary Ann Walker on the 26th of August in 1845. She was two of three children. There's not a whole lot about her childhood, but she did have a childhood sweetheart, Thomas Stuart Drews, but that ended. But he comes back into play later, don't worry. It's kind of cute. She met William Nichols in 1863, and he was a printer. So I'm assuming that was like he wrote newspapers and stuff like that. Probably. There's a lot of newspaper articles on this stuff. I love reading old newspaper articles. They're so interesting in the way they word things. One of the websites you sent me was like an old newspaper archive type thing. Yeah, you have to have a subscription to it, which I want to get eventually, but I want to read into that stuff because I'm sure you could find some gold in there. Well, even if you just Google, like when we did Ed Gein, I looked up Ed Gein newspaper articles and a ton of them popped up. Because they're public. Mm-hmm. There's records of it everywhere. On the 16th of January in 1864, William and Mary got married in the church of St. Bride's uh, Fleet Street. And there's still a plaque there, actually, of their marriage, which is kind of cool. Aww. <laughs> For a while, they lived on Bouvry Street. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I giggled at that, too, when I read it. <laughs> Bouvry. <laughs> Uh, And then after they moved in with Mary's father, Edward Walker, for the next 10 years. They had five children, Edward John in 1866, Percy George in 1868, Alice Esther in 1870, Elizabeth Sarah in 1877, and Henry Alfred in 1879. In the next five years, Mary eventually began to drink heavily because of William having an affair with the woman that took care of her when she gave birth to Henry. How oh, fucked up is that? <laughs> I wouldn't even drink heavily. You'd be dead. Yeah. I'm turning into Jack the Ripper now. <laughs> I'll like, tear your damn. guts out. He blamed the affair on her drinking and that she left. She had enough and she was just like deuces by. So she moved out in 1880. Good for her. Right? <laughs> Everyone but Edward, though, stayed with William. So she didn't even take the kids with her. She left him with William. Okay, that's kind of a bad move, but... Yeah. Well, she was just drinking all the time. She didn't really give a fuck. She's just like, hey, I'm out. Bye. Yeah, never mind. I take back my comment earlier. <laughs> Not good for her. <laughs> she kind of goes downhill. Yeah. Um, so Edward, since he didn't stay with William, he went to go live with Mary's father. And you do that, too. Me and my mom were talking about that, how we twiddle our thumbs around like this, and it's, like, kind of comforting. I was just thinking about how I need a quiet fidget for this, because usually, like, when I'm working at my desk, I'll, like, click my pen or, like, thump my foot or, like, do something that makes noise. But when we're doing this, I can't really, like, be making noise. So I was thinking about, like, oh, I should get one of those, like, stress ball things that's, like, quiet. I don't know. I need something to, like... Yeah, I don't know. Me and my mom were talking about this literally like three days ago, how she does this, my (laughs) grandma does this, and I do this, and it's super comforting. It's kind of like my thumbs are getting a hug, even though they're not touching each other. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, I don't know what it is. I was just thinking, what can I do silently? And I was like, oh, people do this. I'm going to do this. It's comforting. I do this. 
I love mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> but then my thumbs accidentally touch sometimes, and it really pisses me off because I'm like, oh, I fucked up. I know. I'm going to try again. And <laughs> I touched him again. And again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary eventually moves in with another man. And so William brings her to court over the maintenance fee he was paying her, and Mary lost. And in time, she moves back in with her father, and her father complains of her drinking, and this really upset her, so they were arguing, and she moves back to the workhouse that she stayed on and off in before, and she moves around a lot. In June 1883, she makes amends with her high school sweetheart, and they move in together. But this relationship ends in 1887 because guess why? Her drinking (laughs) and her time in the workhouses, which I'm assuming was the brothels. Probably. Because I don't know what other workhouses women would work in. Um, On Monday, the 23rd of October in 1887, police show up at the Drafelga Square where (laughs) hundreds of homeless people would stay. I don't know why it's draw felga, but it's like draw dash fell dash ga. It's okay, wait till you um, hear me absolutely butcher the names in my next case because uh, if you listen to the last episode, you get one little hint. This will be another little hint, I guess, but all the names are very German. <laughs> it's really hard to like pronounce German and other language or culture names. Accents. I guess. Like it sounds different when you have an accent. How would you even... Jafelga. Jafelga? I don't... I don't even know. I can't British. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So a bunch of homeless people would stay there, and they were all charged with wandering abroad without any visible means of sustenance. So basically loitering. So the police show up there, and they're like, well, you're all getting charged with loitering. Ha ha. And on record, there is a Mary Ann Nichols. It doesn't confirm whether it's the same Mary... But the newspapers described her as the worst woman in the square, and she was disorderly. Wow. Which kind of suits Mary, because she was a very um, interesting character. At least she had something going for her. Right? May not have been the best thing, but at least she had something going. (laughs) Mary jumped from quite a few different workhouses. In April of 1888, she was back at the Lamboth workhouse, and she made a friend named Mary Ann Monk. The 12th of May, Mary gets a job that Mrs. Felder gave her as a domestic servant, and she writes to her father to let him know what she's been up to. Her father was super pleased that she... Domestic servant. Like, housekeeper? Maid? She would, like, make beds and fold clothes and wash the clothes, and I don't know why it's called a domestic servant. So, like, like a housekeeper type of a thing, or like a um, kind of. I'm gonna Google assistant it. Assistant type person. Someone to take care of stuff for you. But why is it domestic and not just servant? Home. Means an individual employed to drive his employer as a chauffeur or employed on the grounds or in the home of his employer. Cook. To cook, clean, wash, garden, transport, or otherwise care for or wait upon the employer, the employer's family and guests, or to care for the person, home, grounds, and vehicle. So basically, like, your bitch. Yeah. Someone to make your life easier. Yeah. Does everything for you so you can just go about your day. Okay. Makes more sense. Okay. So she's uh, Mrs. Felder's bitch. <laughs> so she writes to her father to let him know, like, what she's been up to and whatever. And he was super pleased until she found... Until he found out that in July, she fucked up, and she stole three pounds and ten shillings worth of clothes from Mrs. Felder. And by early August of 1888, Mary took off to East End London to a female-only common house, and they knew her as Polly. Another name change. Which is, like, I wondered a little bit. I was like, maybe she's Pearly Paul? Somehow? Maybe. I don't know. Is there any, like, description of her? Like, no, not really. Other than her being disorderly and the worst woman oh. in the square. <laughs> I don't know if she was more... There was a picture of her, and she is a little bit beefier. So, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. She made a friend, Emily Holland. Fellow Emily. <laughs> and she remembers Mary as a clean woman, but weighed down by some trouble. Mary wasn't really fond of men either in her terms. I love how she put that. She's a good woman, but she's, she's 
Way down by some trouble, you got know. Got some stuff going yeah. on, but she's a good person. Because honestly, she's like I, I like her, but she's, got, she's a little messed up. Got some so. issues, but she's chill. In August twenty fourth, eighteen eighty eight, she moved to the White House at fifty six Flower and Dean Street in Spitalfields. And August thirtieth, in the early afternoon at about two thirty, a huge storm hit, and lots of houses by the river got flooded, leaving a bunch of people homeless. And at 9 p.m., a fire broke out in the East London docks. They gained control of the fire by... (laughs) Hold on, do that again. Dun, dun, dun. I'm saving that as a sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, scary, bad vibes. Scary, bad vibes. (laughs) I tried to get the part where he said, oh no, bad juju. But everyone was giggling in the background, so I couldn't, like, clip it out without making it, like, sound weird. You know what I mean? Aww. Yeah. Eventually, I want to get a soundboard so we can add all that stuff, and we could just, boop, add it in there. You can add it back in through there if you save it as a loop. Yeah, but it'd be easier just to press a button. Yeah, eventually. Um, so, they gained control of the fire by midnight, and as they're returning to the station, they, they get a call for another fire at the Ratcliffe Dry Dock. I don't know what the fuck a dry dock is. A dry dock is a narrow basin or vessel that can be flooded to al- to allow a load to be infloated. Oh, okay. So they oh. they put the boats in and, and then, then they, they fill, fill it with water. water. And then yep. the boat. I've seen videos of that before. Okay. They're really cool. Yep. There's another name for them too. Bob was watching videos of them with like huge ships and stuff, and they would do that. That's why I recognized the name. I was like, I know what right. that is. I was like, I've heard this somewhere before, but I don't know what the fuck it is, and I didn't care to Google it at the time I was writing this because um, there's a lot. There's a lot of fucking words on these papers. <laughs> so they get a call for another fire at the Ratcliffe Dry Dock, and there was a bunch of crowds watching the scene, and Emily Holland was one of them. Meanwhile, Mary was seen finishing a drink at the Frying Pan Pub, and leaving to attempt to get a room at Wilmot's. She couldn't pay for a bed, so she was escorted out. And Emily is walking on White Chapel Road by St. Mary's Church at about 2.30 a.m., and she sees a drunken Mary stumbling over to her. Mary brags that she made three times her lodging money, but she spent it. So Emily offers her a bed at Wilmot's. Mary declines and says that she needs to make her own lodging money back, and Mary stumbles away on Whitechapel, and Emily heads back to Wilmot's and never sees Mary again. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) (laughs) If Mary would have accepted that bed, she probably would have been fine. At 3.30, Charles Cross heads to work. He turns into Buck's Row, which is now known as Derward Street, I love these names. (laughs) They're just the random ass fucking names. There's so many more. I mean, I used to live on an iguana street. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck? But they're all animal names, which makes it great. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, He notices a dark bundle laying by the gateway on the street, and there's very little lighting around. So Cross goes to inspect, and he realizes there's a woman that's either drunk or dead. He hears footsteps, and Robert Paul heads towards him. They both look back at her lying on the ground with her skirt up to her knees and on her back. They reported that her face was warm, but her hands were cold and limp. Cross believed that she was dead, but Paul thought that she was alive, so he suggested they help sit her up. But Cross didn't want to touch her again, and they were late for work, so instead they just pulled her skirt down and they journeyed on to work. I love how everyone's like, I don't know if she was, like, dead or just, like, super drunk. Like, that was normal <laughs> back then, just to see a Seriously. bunch of drunk people passed out. Every single one of these that I was running, there's somebody that was like, I didn't know if they were drunk or dead, at so I just they, wandered off. At least they stopped, though. Yeah. Like, they could have just kept walking. At least they, like, tried to But try. her hands were cold and limp. I mean, my hands get cold sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know she's probably dead, but... I guess if you're just, like, used to drunk people laying in the streets. And, I mean, what do you tell your boss? Um, we came by this chick on the side of the road, and we didn't know if she was dead or drunk. 
That's some excuse to be late for work back then. Especially in this area where there's a bunch of drunk people. Like, she was just drunk. You should have left her and got your ass to work. Like, what the fuck? They don't have that PPTO and stuff (laughs) like that back then. (laughs) You know? Excused absences. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, Excuse that me. That was a good one. We're just getting nice. <laughs> Both ends for me. <laughs> <laughs> I let out one burp and I'm like, I'm gassy. <laughs> Mine was a forced one. Well, that one wasn't, but. I always try to force it out, but like, I open my mouth too early and then I'm like, oh. And then the air comes out. Like, I can feel that I burp, but I just can't make the noise. Like, it's just kind of like, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know what you mean, though. Like, closed mouth burps. Yeah. It's always so embarrassing, because I'm like, wait, 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 guys, I got one, I got one. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> All that for nothing? <laughs> so, they obviously didn't have streetlights and stuff. Um, and because it was so dark, Paul and uh, Cross didn't see that her throat was cut so brutally that her head was nearly chopped off. They even touched her, and they didn't notice that her head was nearly decapitated. I mean, if it's dark, I kind of get it, I guess. I don't, I've never stumbled upon a dead body in the dark. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to tell, but still, I don't know. You'd think one of them would have, like, checked for a pulse or something and, like, realized, like, oh, shit, you know? She's dead! Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they did that when they grabbed her hand. Maybe they're doing, like, the wrist thing. I don't know. But Paul was like, nah, she's alive. Let's set her up. But Crass is like, I'm not touching that again. (laughs) She's a prostitute. Who knows what she might have? Exactly. (laughs) Um, So policeman Constable John Neal, which a constable is like one of the people that would go and like stand watch, basically. Um, John Neal soon discovers the body and he states, quote, there was not a soul about. And he later says, I had been around there half an hour previously and saw no one then. I was on the right side when I noticed a figure lying in the street. It was dark at the time. I examined the body by the aid of my lamp and noticed blood oozing from a wound in the throat. She was lying on her back with her clothes disarranged. I felt her arm, which was quite warm from the joints upwards. Her eyes were wide open and her bonnet was off and laying at her side. And he notices one of his colleagues walking by, John Thane, and he has him run off to Dr. Llewellyn. C. Llewellyn. I don't know. Dr. Dr. Llewellyn. Sounds like Lululemon leggings. Yeah. Which are really nice, but expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, policeman Misen arrives at the scene from being altered by Cross and Paul. So they eventually did go find a policeman. They're like, you should go check on this lady. And Neil sends him to bring reinforcements. At about 4 a.m., Mary Nichols is pronounced dead. And the doctor notices that her legs were still warm, but her wrists and hands were very cold. So she couldn't have been dead for more than half an hour. There were three night watchmen on duty at a horse slaughter's yard. I don't know why they slaughtered horses, but anyways. They <laughs> Me? Uh, did, did they eat them back then? I don't think so. Maybe they were sick horses. I don't know. They were taken in to be interrogated, and they were deemed as suspects. They claimed to have heard nothing and had no idea it happened until Thane had notified them as he was passing by to go get the doctor. Patrick Mulshaw, one of the watchmen, confesses he sleeps on duty sometimes, but he was definitely awake between 3 and 4 a.m., and he hadn't seen or heard anything suspicious until about 20 to 5. A stranger told him that he believed someone had been murdered on Buck's Row. <laughs> he sleeps on duty. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Kenzie. So I, oh, my boyfriend's like, oh, I'm going to go play some Call of Duty. I'm like, oh, no, he's got to poop. Like, it's the like Call of Duty. <laughs> I'm going to say that every time I have to poop now. Oh, Call of Duty! <laughs> duty calls! It's a little 12-year-old boy humor in me. <laughs> Same. Like my niece today, my brother was showing me all the games that he has on his PS4, and she's like, oh, there's 69 of them. <laughs> I was like, god damn it. <laughs> That's kind of cute, though. <laughs> she's like 12! 
Like you didn't know that when you were twelve. Do you know what we were yeah. doing when you were twelve? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> yeah, she's an angel child compared to me, thank God. <laughs> she is so much like me, it terrifies me. <laughs> um so at this point everyone's gathering around and so they take her to the mortuary where they could further examine her body. Her clothes were soaked with blood, and there was solidified blood under her body about six inches in diameter, and they start to wonder if the murder was committed in a different spot because of the little blood that was at the crime scene. Although the position that her body was in and the fact that there wasn't any blood anywhere else but where the body was laying, they couldn't really come to a conclusion. I mean, if she was cut almost decapitated, that's a lot of blood. Like, yeah. you have two, like, big-ass arteries or But they couldn't right find here. any blood anywhere else unless she was, like, killed somewhere way farther away. But how would he get her there without dripping blood everywhere? That's a good point. It really baffles my brain. Maybe she didn't have a lot of blood. I don't know. She was drinking. Maybe he didn't Alcohol's hit... a blood thinner. Maybe he... Well, that'd make you bleed more. Oh, yeah. Thinner blood. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he didn't, like, hit the two big... I think they're arteries in your neck. Yeah. Maybe he just, like, stabbed in and, like, cut a little bit, so it was, like, almost decapitated, but, like, more in the middle, not on, like, the parts. I don't know how that would work, but, like... I don't know. I mean, because right here you have, like, your esophagus and stuff like that, so there's not going to be a lot of blood there. But it's so, like... Or maybe almost... maybe he He got one, but didn't quite make it to the other. You know what I mean? So it'd be, like... I don't know. Six inches in diameter, though, is, like... I don't think my neck is... I have a really, like, tiny neck. Yeah. (laughs) She... I mean, she was kind of a thicker woman, but... I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It confuses me. So the doctor, Spratling, further investigated and noticed underneath her blood-soaked clothing was a giant gash all the way to her abdomen, and she had been completely gutted. That also raises the question that there would have been a lot more blood if she was completely gutted. Maybe she was, like, put... On, like, a towel or something, and then Maybe. he took the towel when he left, like... And then the but rest back of the then, blood... they didn't have, like, DNA evidence and stuff, so I don't know why he would have, like, put a towel down to, like, preserve, like, or, like, prevent people from Maybe finding evidence. Maybe he didn't want them to see the blood or something? I don't know. Yeah. He, Maybe or, he thought that they would just think it's another passed out girl in the street drunk. Yeah. Give him more time to get away. Or maybe he wanted the blood for something else. I don't know. I just... It confuses the fuck out of me. This next part really fucking pisses me off. Um, I don't don't like it. I don't know why they kept this guy around, but he comes back into play later, too. Um, So, she was completely gutted. So, Spratling sends for Llewellyn, and meanwhile, two dipshit poppers named Robert and James started washing down the body and stripping her of her clothes even though they were told no touchy by Dr. Llewellyn until Dr. Llewellyn was done. So bye-bye DNA. Well, they didn't have it back then, but... But they wanted to preserve it for evidence and stuff like that, and they eventually do go back and test test a bunch of DNA, which is why they bring us to one of the suspects that I will bring up later. how scary it would have been if you were a killer back in, like, the 80s, and then it was, like, mid-2000s-ish, and everyone's like... DNA evidence to solve this crime and that crime. Like, it was all over the news because they were going back and testing cold case DNA well, evidence. Well, this is 1880s, not 1980s. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, if you were a killer and you were watching all these guys get caught, you're like, oh, God, what are they going to... What are they testing my case? Like... Right. Because back then, they didn't know DNA was even a thing. Like, they were... So they weren't going to find ways yeah. to get rid of the DNA because... Who the fuck knows? Unless you're psychic or something. They but. must have been shitting. Like, forensic Files. Like, 90% of the episodes on that show are... This case went cold for 20, 30, 40 years until DNA, DNA. evidence. <laughs> Bam! DNA! Yep. 
And it's like they caught him. So like how many people that committed murders were like shitting their pants while watching the news like, oh my God. Zodiac killer. (laughs) (laughs) I still want to know who he is. I want to do a case on him eventually. So the next victim, and this Jack the Ripper dude was on a fucking roll because these are like one murder each week. He was on a rampage. Oh yeah. He must have been pretty angry or very determined in his studies or something. So now we're going to talk about Annie Chapman. She was murdered on the 8th of September, and um, she was born in 1841, and she was 47 at the time of her death. And guess what? She liked to drink. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Woo! She was super friendly to other tenants in the lodging house that she stayed in, where she paid eight pence a night for a double bed. So she was like, I'm bougie, I'm paying eight pence for a double bed instead of a single. Fancy. Right? And she usually made her money by, like, crocheting and selling artificial flowers and prostitution, like many other women at yeah, the time. Yeah, the first two were sweet, but that one... Gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, but not as, like, crochet and flowers. Oh, she also, like, sold She's sex. a prostitute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she had two regulars, which was Harry the Hawker and Ted Stanley, a retired soldier known as the Pensioner. Later, it was revealed, though, that Ted was neither a retired soldier or a pensioner. He was actually a bricklayer that lived in Whitechapel, and he would usually spend Saturday until Monday with Annie. The man that reported this was Timothy Donovan, who also said that Stanley would tell him to turn Annie away if she ever turned up at the lodging house, and Timothy claims to have visited her once or twice. So Ted was kind of, like, possessive of her. In a way, which is a little concerning. He was hoodie how whipped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so her and another woman at the lodging house didn't really get along, Eliza Cooper. And I like that name. there is a theory that Jack the Ripper was a female. Mm-hmm. And if it was, I honestly kind of wonder about Eliza a little bit. And you'll find out why. So there is a bunch of mix-ups of the story between different witnesses, but according to Eliza, she had loaned Annie a bar of soap, which Annie gave to Ted, and Ted would wash up with it. Eliza kept asking for the return of the soap, and Annie would occasionally toss a half penny at her and would tell her to go get a half penny of soap, which was like just your typical, you know, pickup of soap. The disagreement of soap went on for quite a few days, and at the Britiana pub on eastern corner of Dorset Street, Annie slapped Eliza across the face and screamed, Think yourself lucky I don't do more. (laughs) Because of soap. (laughs) All over soap. Soap. (laughs) And Eliza responded to this by punching Annie in the eye and in the chest. And although Annie had seen the worst of it, because her bruises remained during her autopsy, Eliza insists that she was the victim and saw the worst of it. Oh, so, yes, there's a dead woman on a table, and I'm the victim. Okay, <laughs> exactly. She's one yourself. of those people. Yeah, I don't like Eliza. So, regardless, this encounter made Annie's health decline, and she spent her last living days in a lot of pain. On Monday, September 3rd, Annie met her friend Amelia, and Amelia had noticed her bruises and asked how it happened. Annie proceeds to show her the bruises on her chest and explains that she hasn't eaten or had a cup of tea yet today. Amelia offers her two pence for food and tells her not to spend it on rum. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Whatever you say. (laughs) Three days later, they saw each other again in passing on Dorset Street, and she looked worse, and she says she's too ill to do anything. Amelia passes her again ten minutes later, And Annie is in the same spot, and she tried to cheer Annie up, and Annie says, It's no use in giving way. I must pull myself together and get some money, or I shall have no lodgings. And that is the last thing Amelia ever heard from her. Right? She probably feels so guilty, and like, I could have done something. But she declined, and what what can you do? Yeah. So a little before 6 a.m. on September 8th, John Davis, an elderly man who lived on 29 Hanbury Street, came downstairs and along the narrow hall and opened a back door. There were two men walking down the street, and John stumbles to them in horror and says, Men, come here. 
The two men hesitantly follow John over to the back door, and they see Annie's mutilated body on the ground between the fence and the steps, her clothes tugged up to her, ra- up to her waist. Her handkerchief was tied around her throat. Some say that Jack tied it to stop her head from rolling away, but it was already there when her throat had been slit. So that's just a rumor. Like a kink thing. I don't know. I don't know. Her hands and her face were covered in blood, and it looked as if she was struggling for her throat. So she was, like, grabbing her throat, like, oh, my God, you know, like they do in the movies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so dramatic scene, like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even though they can't make any noise. Mm -hmm. There's, like... (laughs) And they die. (laughs) So the three men split up, running to go for police after sitting in shock for a few moments. They're like, oh, fuck. Fuck. But okay, we should probably go get somebody. James Kent processes what he had seen and instead decides to go for a brandy. And honestly, I don't blame him. He's just like, you know what? Fuck this. I need a drink. (laughs) I just saw a dead body. Like, I'm gonna go take my break now. I'll be (laughs) right back. I need a brandy. BRB. (laughs) Henry Holland met an officer on post duty. And he was stunned when the officer told him that he can't leave his post due to procedure. Henry eventually files a formal complaint, and they tell him that the officer was right not to leave his post. There's a mutilated body, and he's not allowed to leave his post. I heard about that. I, like, I was listening to another podcast about this, like, probably a year ago, and I was at work, and I was like, he couldn't leave his post to possibly save this woman who might have still been alive? Right? Like, not that he could have done much, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, he But you never know. Like, just in case, you know, you'd think, yeah, let's go try to save this woman, but... Yeah. I don't know. Fuck that guy. Yeah. So, John Davis arrives at the police station and demands to see a senior officer. Officer Chandler races down the commercial street and barges through the crowds of gathering, because everybody's seeing this at this point, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And he orders everyone to leave and covers Annie with a sack for privacy. And then he heads back to the police station to retrieve as many reinforcements as possible. Dr. Phillips arrives to a few hundred people at the scene at 6.30 a.m. With one look, he could tell that Annie was too far gone for any sort of medical help. And his testimony is, quote, The left arm was placed across the left breast. The legs were drawn up the feet resting on the ground, and the knees turned outwards. The face was swollen and turned on the right side. The tongue protruded between the front teeth, but not beyond the lips. The tongue was evidently much swollen. The front teeth were perfect as far as the first molar, top and bottom, and very fine teeth they were. It's like obsessed with their teeth, man. (laughs) The body was terribly mutilated. The stiffness of the limbs was not marked, but was evidently commencing. The throat was dissevered deeply that the incisions through the skin were jagged and reached right around the neck. On the wooden wooden paling between the yard in question and the next, smears of blood corresponding to where the head of the deceased lay were to be seen. These were about 14 inches from the ground and immediately above the part where the blood from the neck lay. Do we know if there was sexual assault involved in any of these? Not at the moment. Because their skirts were all pulled up. Like, I don't... That's what I was wondering. I was like, I feel like... Well, because they were all prostitutes. Yeah, and, like, how could they have tested it back then, too? Like, you know what I mean? What I think... Like, this is my own theory that I've, like, come up with from all the research I've done so far. And what I think is that they were prostituting and this dude came up and was like, yo, give me some puss and whatever. And like so they mid like, fuck flipped out. Yeah, and slit their throat and that stuff would when they sense. weren't expecting it. Because if it was like unconsensual, there would have been like tearing and blood down Probably there. Probably more bruises yeah. and more signs of struggle. But then again, this is in the 1800s, so who really knows if they know what that stuff looks like? Because he was the first like documented serial killer in the UK where, like, media went crazy over this. Later in the day, the post-mortem declares the killer had removed and taken her womb, which is, like, your uterus and stuff. Um, 
When the body had been taken to the Whitechapel murder mor, 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 mortuary, mortuary. <laughs> can't fucking talk today. The ambulance arrives at about 7 a.m., which when they said ambulance, I was like, is it like a horse and wagon that they yell like, wee woo, wee woo, across the town? Beep beep. <laughs> Ooh, get out bitch. the way! Get out the way! Get out the way! I didn't know they had ambulances back then, but apparently they did. Um, so the ambulance arrives at about seven a.m., waiting to retrieve the body, and <laughs> waiting to receive the body was the same man, Robert Man. <laughs> Don't trust Robert. Who had stripped and washed Mary Nichols' body without authorization. Told you this man was going to come back. Maybe he just really likes touching dead bodies. I don't know. (laughs) The policeman still remembered this incident and made it very clear that the body was not to be touched. Which, I don't know why this man still had his job. But they're like, do not fucking touch this body until Dr. Phillips has completed his examination... And Chandler places PC Barnes in charge, and Chandler and Phillips head back to Commercial Street Police Station. They came back, and within two hours, two nurses were given instruction from the clerk of the workhouse guardians to strip and wash the body. You gotta be fucking kidding me. (laughs) I... Bye-bye DNA. I mean, they probably didn't have, like protocol back then you know what i mean like steps to do when you find a body type of a thing but he was clearly instructed not to touch the damn body which makes me wonder what if it was robert man maybe and he didn't want them to know anything so he i mean he works at a mortuary so he just really likes dead women maybe I don't know. That's a thing. Necrophilia. Yeah. That's what it's called. So, that's all I've got for the victims for today. Because then we start getting into the suspect, the leather apron. Um, And I wanted to talk about leather apron before I talk about the rest of the victims. Because there's people that, like, make some jokes about leather apron and some stuff that might not make sense until you know who leather apron is. I know leather apron i recognize the name and i'm pretty sure i haven't listened or read anything about this guy in like years but i'm pretty sure leather apron was one of like the top suspects or like most known at least or like dude if you look at my little write-up that i have on leather apron I don't want to spoil it i'm gonna keep it a surprise (laughs) it'll be a cliffhanger for me too there's so many fucking articles about him with the media just going nuts over him and he was like I don't know if I should say it I'll cut this out but he's like basically this monster that they all just came up with just to come up with somebody and somewhere on the website in the middle of reading about him they call him Jack Pizer and then they say he goes into hiding or whatever, and then out of fucking nowhere, they're like, John Pizer was arrested. So I don't know if he's Jack Pizer or John Pizer, but... I'm pretty sure they just chose Jack the Ripper because it's like, body's basically ripped apart, but then like, Jack's a very common name. But it's also a male name. I also wonder if it came from, because if it was Jack Pizer, maybe that's where they got jack the ripper instead of leather apron even though he wore a leather apron but and jack the ripper sounds spooky is gonna get more attention you oh, know yeah. media starting to become a thing you google leather apron and you come up with article or not articles but like ads for leather aprons you google jack the ripper and you got a whole bunch of crime shit oh yeah but yeah i don't want to get into leather apron because there's a lot on just leather apron in general. Um, it's a badass name. Yeah. Apron. Dude, he was scared shitless when women started like, ugh. Just the women's stories and stuff. And then there's like this policeman that this woman informs. And like they almost catch the dude. 
and they don't know if it's actually him or not but i don't know i just uh it this case gives me weird vibes yeah it's so weird because like when i first got into like true crime and stuff like that Jack the Ripper, of course, is one of your go-tos. You want to learn about that person. Because you hear that name all the time. And you're like, okay, what the fuck is it? Yeah. And that's what I did. I was like, okay, I keep hearing about it. Now I'm going to go Google it, do research, and I've gone down a rabbit hole. So it's been probably at least a few years since I've heard anything on him at all. And, like, hearing you, like, mention, like, the names of the victims and, like, Leather Apron and, like, bringing up other things. It's, like, triggering these, like, memories in my mind. And I'm, like, Pulling oh, my from God. the deep depths of like, your brain. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting, like, flashbacks. Like, I remember this. I know this part. Like, I, I got this. <laughs> it's, like, all the, like, conspiracies and, like, plot twists with the story. Like, it could be a movie. It, it, prob- should, it probably it, is. Probably. There's, there is some documentaries about it, but I haven't watched any of them yet. There's, like, a whole ass TV show about it, which I should probably watch, honestly. But I've just been so indulged in this website because there's so much fucking information on this website. They go through all the suspects. Each individual victim has their own, like, sub page on there. And then they go into, like, they've got the home history of him. They've got a map of it. East End in 1888. Common lodging houses. The Jewish East End. Prostitution. Frederick Charrington. This week in 1888. Supernatural aspects of it. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, that's why I was like, there. this is going to be a multiple-parter. And then they have a thing for each victim and, like, supposed victims and stuff. Suspects, which Goes there's a lot of suspects. They got CSI, like, police investigations and the officers, public officials, the murder sites and witnesses. And then there's the letters... There's the galleries. There's resources. I don't think we're ever going to know who he is. I think it's too far back in time. Not enough evidence was collected, and I don't think we're ever going to figure out who Jack really was. There was a shawl that there's, they had that um, they that's, like, the only piece of evidence that they could, like, test. And they do... And I'll talk about him, Aaron Kamalski or whatever. He's one of the suspects we'll talk about. And well, one of Ted Bundy's victims was just identified not because, like, so they had the victim's DNA, but then Ted Bundy, I think it was Ted Bundy, who was like, I don't, I don't know who her name, like, I don't know who she was, I don't, I don't know anything, I just killed her, like, I don't, I don't fucking know anything about her, but here you go, she was Jane Doe for years, and then I think just the last year, in 2021, they identified her through, like, like two generations later because this lady did a 23andMe or something like that and they got her DNA and they were like that's why I want to do an ancestry.com thing because what if I'm related to a murder victim and nobody has any idea until I test my DNA and they were like do you are you related to this person she's like yeah are you related to this person she's like yeah and she's like okay what's going on here and they're like oh um who was this person? Because Ted Bundy killed her back in, like, way in the day. She's like, oh, shit, okay. I would be like, holy fuck. I think it was Ted Bundy. It made, like, breaking news. I think it was last year. I, don't know. I know everyone was, like, freaking out about it in the true crime world. Okay. This will just be an ongoing case throughout um, the month-ish. Something like that month month and a half i want to do like a couple cases in between while i'm doing this to kind of little like palate cleanser for my brain because some of this gets to be too much for me sometimes <laughs> like i just go researching and researching and researching and then my brain just gets exhausted and i'm like i need a cleanser but get that that's that. part one yeah. especially like with the next one I'm doing, like, I'll sit in my office and just research for hours and hours. And, like, it gets into some dark shit. And eventually I'm like, Kenzie, you gotta stop. Like, chill out. Get away from the computer. <laughs> stop looking stuff up. Like... I get antsy. Yeah, like, mental 
like almost like sensory overload, but it's just in your brain and you're like, I don't, I don't know. I can't handle any more darkness. Right. Like just, and I just want to like <laughs> freak out. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just get really antsy in my body and just like my brain is just fried. I'm like, I need to get up yeah. and go do something and like cuddle with breathe. my dog. Yeah. Something Ugh. not violent. Yeah. Play The Sims. Well, stay tuned for the next couple of months. I guess. I don't know how long it's going to take, but eventually we will get through what we know of Jack the Ripper. I'm excited for it, but I'm also really, like, nervous to continue it, just because there's one thing... There's so much, and I don't want to miss it. So I fall asleep watching, like, Investigation Discovery, um, A&E, all, like, the documentaries on, like, Netflix, Hulu, HBO I do, too. Forensic Files is usually my go-to. They have a Forensic Files 2. Oh, they have a second one? I didn't know that was a thing, but it's a thing. And I fall asleep listening to that, and I avoid cold cases, because I hate when there's not a set person. It bothers me when I don't know. Yeah, because then you start, like, you can't stop thinking about it. You're like, oh my gosh, this person never got caught. They're still out there. Like, what are they doing now? Do they commit more murders? Are they attached to this person? keeps me up at night. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Drives me nuts. Right. This one's interesting. I love it. Me too. (laughs) I'm excited to continue. So, I think it's like every other case that I'll do, I'll come back to Jack the Ripper. So, like, you'll do one, and then I'll do, like, a different one, and then you'll do another one, whatever you're doing, and then I'll come back to Jack the Ripper and repeat, repeat. So, every, like, four-ish episodes? Yes. Something like that. Depending on our schedule, because Mm -hmm. sometimes we have to do last-minute plans and things don't go... We're very busy right. people, or at least I'm busy all the fucking time. I swear, I I live like an hour away from her, <laughs> yeah. and we tried this video call thing with our Pazuzu part two, but that didn't turn out that well, so no, I have crappy Wi-Fi. Anyways, well, thanks for listening. Um, tune in again. Tell your friends. Um, yeah, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter. I don't really use the Twitter all that much because um, I still don't really know how to Twitter, but we'll figure it out eventually. (laughs) Follow and we'll we'll learn. Maybe like give us some tips and tidbits. I don't know. We're like old people. people, So like tweet us like a tutorial on how to use Twitter. Like (laughs) I've never used it before, so I don't know. Tweet us how to Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) How Twitter. Uh, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, make sure you go check those out because, you know, we're pretty dope. And oh, um, yeah. We got Ed Gein, Sean Gray, Pazuzu, Pazuzu, part one and two with some special guests. And we've got some spooky stories from Reddit, which yeah. I want to do again, too. Yes. That was fun. We eventually want to get listener stories, so... Make sure you send us any, like, spooky or crimey stories that you have. Or just cases you want us to look into. Yeah, give us, like, recommendations. We want to know what you guys want to hear, not just what we're interested in, because it could be completely different, you never know, but... Yeah, so, um... We'll see you later, and, uh, deuces. Goodbye, the next one's gonna be dark, too, so... Make sure you have a yeah. drink for that one. <laughs> Some dopamine and yeah. Serotonin.